You have returned to Season 2 of the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I continue this journey of unlocking the hidden mysteries of the beatific vision of God for you, the spiritual pilgrim treading upon the narrow path. Prepare yourself. Episode 15, Experiencing the Mystery Welcome back to the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast. I will apologize ahead of time and state that I don't know where to begin this episode. So many things occurred and continue to occur that though I have all my notes of each of these experiences, none of them have dates, so my mind is searching for a timeline to follow. But since there isn't one, I feel sort of scatterbrained and am mentally trying to group them into categories so that it's easier for you to follow along while listening to this or reading it via the ebook. After reviewing some of the Eastern religions, I opened up to reading more contemporary writings about God and spiritual ideas and concepts, or New Age stuff, and this is when I began to learn more about synchronicity after reading some Carl Jung, probably while I was in my philosophy of religion class. To further drive home the infancy of knowledge between the history of Catholic and Protestant Christianity I had at this time, Though I had bought a Catholic Bible, since I was living in West L.A., not that far from where I had lived in Santa Monica 10 years prior as a child, I wanted to go somewhere familiar for church services, and I wound up going to the Episcopal Church I used to go to down by the 3rd Street Promenade. It was an excellent choice, and again, to further this blurring of what makes it difficult to discern the differences between the two, then for me, as I'm sure it does for others now. Literally right when I started going to this church, a few of the members had started a centering contemplative prayer group that's based on the works of St. John of the Cross, a Catholic saint, that some other modern-day priests had formed into what is called the centering prayer movement within these circles. Father Keating, I think, was his name, and the book, I think, was called Open Mind, Open Heart. In one of those weird synchronous things, after I read why the church disapproved of the interpretation of St. John of the Cross's works found in centering prayer and the works of this priest, the book sort of vanished from my library of books, and I actually have no idea what happened to it. Anyways, it was here where after telling my tale of the near-death experience during the new member orientation when a lady I was talking to told me that God had been trying to get my attention and needed to drop a boulder on my head to do so. Having read the Bible now, I was also starting to form that internal knowledge that God puts those he loves to the test to refine them like gold in a fire over and over again. Since then, I've sometimes seen this idea in the positive, sometimes I've seen this idea in the negative, and I've loved when I've read stories like St. Teresa of Avila recounting a time she was walking along a road talking to God, and I think it was a cart that rode by and splashed her with mud, and she told God it's because of stuff like this that you have so few friends. Or the Muslim way of expressing this conundrum, if God lays hands on you, how can you complain or fight it if God's the one doing it? So this is where I started learning to meditate, going to the centering contemplative prayer group weekly that focused on the work of a Catholic priest, two Catholic priests in fact, though I think the priest author of that book, Open Mind, Open Heart, was eventually excommunicated, and meeting this group at an Episcopal church. Kind of funny when you think about the Catholic-Protestant thing. My next strange and horrifying experience happened on one of these nights after leaving the prayer meeting group, though, and it's the primary reason I never ventured toward anything other than the more ancient forms of the church. Not that I have anything really against evangelical Christianity other than their hostility towards anything not evangelical Christianity, meaning their hostility towards me since I'm Catholic and that they somehow have convinced their members that the Catholic church is some type of a cult, 
which would make it a pretty ancient and massive cult and the fount from which their Christianity emerged since the Catholic Church gathered, compiled, preserved, and edited the very Bible they use. Not in King James's time, which is what unfortunately many Protestants seem to think, but in St. Jerome's time around the year 400 AD. But anyways, it was because of what happened on this night that I never bothered with anything other than Episcopal, which is essentially American Church of England alongside Anglican, or King Henry's Church, or the first real split from Catholic other than Eastern Orthodox, or the Catholic Church. Just for context's sake, I'm now many moons removed from any and all drug use, so probably starting at this point, anything that I say that I saw no longer has any potentiality as having been the result of recent drug use. I'm not sure how long that stuff stays in your system. There's that myth of the spinal tap of acid resurging in a user up to a decade later since it stays in the spinal system fluid or something like that, but I never found myself frying balls within the decade after having taken acid, so I'm pretty sure that's just a myth. I was walking up the street from the church towards where I'd had to park my car. Anybody that lives in the West LA area knows what I'm talking about, but if you've never been, finding parking is hell on earth in West LA. For instance, on my first day of school at Santa Monica College, even though I was stupid enough to buy the parking pass, since there was no parking anywhere to be found even with a stupid pass, I had to drive up and down the side streets trying to find parking. I got three parking tickets on that single day, running to my car to move it after each class and failing miserably at moving it before the meter maid had nabbed me. Over the next two weeks, I was more successful and only got another two parking tickets. Hell on earth, just like driving the freeways there. So I'm walking up this street from the church to my car. I get to a corner and two guys are walking down towards me with flyers in their hands. They spark up a conversation and start asking me if I know the Lord Jesus Christ and in my head I'm thinking, know him, I'm pretty sure I've seen him in the mystically mysterious way, how about you? Since by now, I'd come across the concept of mysticism, probably from the prayer group meeting, and was understanding that what I'd experienced was some type of mystical experience. Which is interesting since even that early on I was already moving my concept of what had occurred beyond the near-death life review experience and into the mystical. They began to tell me about their church they just opened up, handing me their flyer and that I should stop by and see what they have to say. I told them I was already going to the church just down the street and they tried to tell me that church didn't have the truth of Jesus Christ but that they did. And as they were talking, their faces morphed from normal human faces into fierce, animalistic, bestial, demonic faces as they continued to try and convince me that they were the ones that had the truth of Jesus Christ. Two random dudes walking down a side street in Santa Monica in jeans and t-shirts. Upon seeing their faces, I was already scratching the dirt with fists clenched, thinking I was going to have to throw down with these demons and praying that God or St. Michael or St. George since I'd already been reading my Angels and Demons book, give me the strength to send these devils back to the netherworld, but they quickly gave up their attempt and continued down the street handing out flyers to another passerby. Again, my notes say this experience was about six months after the awakening near-death experience, so no drugs or alcohol at all in my system. Either I was just hallucinating and crazy, even though I never saw anything like this again, and I only say that because if I was hallucinating and crazy, wouldn't I have kept seeing stuff like this? or I saw what I saw. I'll leave it at that. The next experience came in a rather organic manner. I don't think I knew fully what I was getting myself into, but it did help to understand that there are things human beings can do and have done to produce and or generate spiritual type experiences beyond just drug use. I was already understanding prayer and meditation accomplished this like the tortoise versus the hare, where the hare represents drug use in the old Aesop's fable, but physical exertion wasn't anything I understood just yet. 
again, I'll just posit the question if this was synchronous or not, especially since it happens to every student in every college, not getting into a class you may have wanted or needed and then having to find an alternative. I didn't get a class I needed and with options limited, I chose to take some type of music history class. It was very interesting. I learned to love the old dulcimer instrument while in this class, but for either the midterm or the final, I can't remember exactly, the teacher gave the option of either writing a giant paper about something or by going to a Native American sweat lodge that he had access to. I figured there'd be some drum pounding or something to tie it into the musical learning, and since I was intrigued by the descriptions of the experience the teacher gave, I signed up for it. I think there were only two others from the class that chose to do this. I feel terrible I don't remember the Native American tribe that's up in the Santa Monica Mountains that held the sweat lodge, but all I remember was the road up to where they were at was off the one freeway, otherwise known as PCH or the Pacific Coast Highway, somewhere in Malibu. It was a terribly awful road with tons of rocks and potholes in it, and I'm sure it jacked up the alignment in my car. The only offering they requested was tobacco as a gift, and I remember taking like two or three packs of bugle tobacco, which must have offended them. Though I'm not sure if that Native American spirit brand existed back then and probably didn't offend them as much as being handed packs of Marlboro cigarettes that I saw handed to them. It was freezing up on that mountain while everybody started undressing and preparing to enter the lodge, crazy windy, and the smoke from the bonfire they had outside was following me for some reason and was scorching my eyeballs. It wasn't a naked lodge, so there were no naked bodies or anything like that, but everybody crammed into it side by side, knees up to the chest, the hot lava stones blazing in the center as the leader started pouring water onto it to create the steam that quickly engulfed the entire space. They'd periodically open the flap to the lodge, and though it gave some relief to the steam bath, it was only temporary, since opening the flap seemed to encourage them to drop tons more water on those rocks once again closed versus prior to opening the flap. There was no drumming, so I guess the musical component was the prayer chants the Native Americans were doing inside of the sweat lodge as they prayed to what they called the grandfather in the sky. I wish I could remember more of the words they were saying, but my mind was so filled with thoughts of burning steam in my nostrils, lungs, and chest that I was quickly unable to focus on anything the leaders were doing, saying, or chanting and was instead focusing on putting to practice everything I'd been learning up to that point about meditation trying not to think about how hot it was, trying not to think about the burning sensation in my nose, trying not to think about how with each breath it was like I was smoking weed, but instead it was hot boiling steam, and even though I'd breathe it out, it never really left, and when my next breath came, in went the giant cloud of steam once more, and it felt like I wasn't breathing at all and just suffocating on steam. My feet and knees were hurting from the crouched position, I couldn't fully sit down since there was a rock pressing right on one of my butt cheeks, and I couldn't move it since that would have meant essentially grabbing and pushing the butt of the person directly next to me since their hip was pretty much pressed against my hip in this crouched knees to the chest position. Also, wiping away the sweat became useless since it would form and return to dripping down my forehead instantaneously, but I had to keep doing it because if I breathed it into my nose or if it touched my lips, it added to the burning sensation since even sweat became volcanically hot inside of there. The way they break the thing up, or the way it's supposed to be broken up, since I remember reading in the news a few years back some dumbass new age guru that got a few people killed in a sweat lodge because he was trying to push them to endure it without opening the flaps for relief at all. But the way it's supposed to be segmented is with four rounds of 15 minutes for a total time of an hour. I don't remember when it occurred, though I think it was after the second round, so during the second half of the experience. And I honestly don't know what I started doing in my head as I was meditating. If not, I'd tell you. 
My inner voice is saying I began to focus on the steam itself and was accepting and allowing it to penetrate instead of trying to not think about it since even though there was technically an escape and anybody could leave at any point, I was resolved to endure it to the end. But at some point, I left my body. I remember floating above myself, above the steam layer inside of the lodge, looking down at my crouched and sweaty self, the larger outer ring of crouched individuals and the smaller circle of the handful of Native Americans leading the sweat around the hot stone pit, the orange reflection of the hot stones glistening off the leader as he looked down at them and splashed more water, and that the stars were above me and there was no longer a ceiling to the lodge. It reminds me of the Century Club experience explained in episode 3 of this season 2 of podcast. It didn't remind me then, of course, but now as I draft this, I'm seeing the similarity of the two experiences and I'm continuing to reap the rewards of trusting myself in writing these episodes out from memory and not from my notes, and the simple act of doing this is showing me more connections that I hadn't seen prior. I know it may sound strange, but that's all I remember of the out-of-body experience in that sweat lodge. The flap opened and I was suddenly conscious of it and the circle of people crouched filing out and that I needed to move to get out since it was done. So I remember about 10 to 20 seconds of -of out-of-body imagery, essentially knowing that I'd left my body and looking beneath me, but nothing further over the course of at least 15 to 30 minutes. I had to chug down a gallon of water upon exiting, something the teacher repeatedly said to bring with us to the lodge and he wasn't joking. I pretty much chugged that gallon of water down in one drink. And even with all the drugs I had taken in my life, I'm sure I'd never felt as high as I felt when exiting that sweat lodge. It was hard to drive even since my mind was swimming in highness without having taken a single drug. I would later learn this is essentially what yoga is all about, the physical exertion and yoking of the body to stimulate feelings of spiritual ecstasy. I only did the practice once or twice, and not that I didn't generate the similar feeling as from the sweat lodge those two times, though at a much lower degree of intensity, But by the time I got to any yoga type stuff, I'd already written off the lotus posture while meditating since I hated sitting in that position and pretty much wrote off any other physical type spiritual practice, even though I know they can take the mind places. Somewhere during this massive reading, I'd started coming across mind over matter type things and I decided to experiment with something small. I mentioned it only briefly in the first episode of the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, And I'm not even sure if it registered with any that are listening or reading, but I'd mentioned I'd healed myself from a pesky little thyroid issue when I got sick of taking that tiny little level whatever it's called pill. I've done three healings in my time, two upon myself and one on my at the time girlfriend, now wife. Here I will recount the first healing. But I'm still scientific about these things, so I will say at the onset that perhaps I had simply matured enough at age 19, maybe 20 at this point, for the acne to finally clear up and go away. I don't think this is the case since I'd spent the previous seven or eight years in dermatology hell dealing with this. I'm not sure when puberty begins or ends, but since there are adults that have acne issues, I'm sure it doesn't have only to do with puberty stuff. The issue I had was though my mother meant well in taking me to a dermatologist and becoming a guinea pig for various experimental face creams, the constant going back and forth, use this, wash with this, do this, take these pills in the morning and at night, This made what should have been a small issue a giant issue in my head and thus created and exacerbated the problem probably beyond what it could have been. Doing all of that made matters worse, to put it lightly. Anyways, at this stint, I had finally given in to the infomercials for Proactive and I think I'd just started using it when I came across whatever you want to call mind over matter or spiritual healing type books and concepts. Much like I've explained in my method of understanding other things, I narrowed down what exactly about the acne bothered me. 
I understood it was a natural thing, so thinking about it from a natural standpoint already dislodged me from the acne itself being anything more than what it was. Doing this even began to build a new self-image and idea of what I thought of when I thought of the acne and that it was only a couple spots here and there and why had I made such a big deal about it. I already explained the reason for that. But when I narrowed it down further, especially once I understood what had created this into a larger thing in my mind, I realized it wasn't so much the acne on my face, but the reactions I thought those outside of me looking at me might have been thinking when they saw the acne upon my face and how that made me feel. Understanding this, I stepped into my bathroom and stared at myself in the mirror. I began repeating to myself that there was nothing wrong with my face. There was nothing wrong with having acne on my face if it was in fact there and that actually, as opposed to the acne spots, the other 99% of my face was completely and utterly clear and healthy and why was I so focused on the 1% that was blemished versus the 99% that wasn't blemished? I then changed my thoughts around regarding what I had internalized as my primary worry, what others were thinking about when they saw the acne on my face. Instead of worrying about whether they were internally jeering at me for having acne, that if they were thinking at all about the acne on my face, that what they were probably doing was hoping they didn't get acne on their faces since they were just as worried about the acne appearing on their faces as I was. This further dislodged me from the regular train of thoughts I'd had. I then reaffirmed to myself that there was nothing wrong with my face, and to prove it to myself, I was going to stop entirely from washing and putting a bunch of crap on my face. I packaged up the proactive and issued a return since I was still in the old-school 30-day money-back guarantee period and utterly stopped washing my face at all, going as far as making sure while showering that I let as little water as possible touch my face and that when I rinsed my hair out, I was turning my head to the side so the soap wouldn't run down my face. I also told myself if I had any pimples, I wasn't going to pop them and would confidently walk around with them in all their whitehead glory. The next day in school, I also reaffirmed in my mind when I caught people looking at me that yes, I have a white-headed pimple on my face and that they should fear acquiring one themselves since would they have the confidence to walk around with it unpopped as I was now doing. Hardcore stuff. In five days, all my acne cleared up. So again, maturity, confidence, the change in thoughts and thinking, changing the daily external habit of washing and smearing crap on my face twice a day, you be the judge. Just know I'd been dealing with it since middle school with never a pause or a break. I guess I'd also stop smoking weed and drinking, but if that had been the cause, shouldn't the clearing up have occurred sooner since I'm several months now removed from it? My eating habits hadn't changed either, so all the times the derms had said diet was the cause went down the drain for me as well. So you choose to decide if it was any one or a combination of it all that cleared up the acne. I know this isn't the traditional laying on of hands healing, more just personal healing, but the laying on of hands healing would come later. I'll recount that in the next episode alongside dreams from this time period, but it may be a little out of linear context when we get there since that occurred a few years after the current time period we find ourselves in. But since it involved the dream, not my dream, I will tell it then. The experience I'll talk about next may seem like it's coming out of left field, but it was an experience that I had during this time and it's worth mentioning but also worth mentioning when it comes to the conversations that surround secret societies and conspiracies, especially since I've mentioned those types of things a few times. There's massive amounts of that type of stuff on the internet, so I won't dive into any of that type of stuff since one can easily get lost in all of it. And in case you're wondering where my general stance is, 
If you disbelieve everything the media or government tells you and yet believe everything the conspiracy theorists say, then you are still locked in the problem of duality and the knowledge of good and evil because to think that the conspiracy theorist is always telling the truth and the media government always lying is no different than believing the media or government is always telling the truth and the conspiracy theorists are always lying quacks. There is a mystery of paradox and perception here and I'll leave it at that and we'll just explain what occurred. Not that I had any concept of any of these things back then and actually had no idea at all regarding such conspiracy things. I wouldn't come across the conspiracy stuff until much later. The West LA I was living in was this little tiny spot between West LA and Venice called Palms. I'd gotten used to walking down to Venice Beach Boulevard versus driving, even though it was only a few blocks away from my apartment due to the aforementioned hell on earth of finding parking anywhere. And if I turned left from where I was at, it was to hit up the Versailles Cuban food restaurant, which was one of my main sources of nutrition during the two years I lived there. Eventually, I turned right and meandered down the street, seeing what there was, and found there was a Masonic lodge there. Now, I'm still rather confused about the whole Masonic thing, to tell you the truth. I watched the recent Netflix documentary about the Masons, and even though I've come across the Masons over the years in the National Treasure movies, the Dan Brown book, and in some other stuff, since watching that documentary, I've become very confused about the whole Mason thing. Also because I've read some of the Manly P. Hall works and he's mentioned it's an all-male thing just like the Netflix documentary affirmed. The reason why it's confusing for me is because at this Masonic Lodge, there were men and women involved there. Maybe it was like guest meditation night or something if the documentary and general idea behind the Masons being an all-male fraternity is true. Or they did things differently at this lodge, I'm not entirely sure. Anyways, I was walking down the street, came across the entrance to the lodge, and they were advertising a group meditation. I was already doing the centering contemplative prayer at the Episcopal Church and had already seen the Native American prayer chant at the Sweat Lodge, so I decided to give it a whirl to expand my ideas around what meditation was all about and came back on whatever night it was the meditation was held. I'd also discovered a recent addition to the family that happened to be a self-help instructor and had gone with him to this onion ball thing and I can't remember the city, but right next to Van Nuys in the valley on the other side of the 405 freeway as another way of expanding what I understood about meditation. The simple use of the word expand should tell you I was now getting deep into the new age or occult stuff. I think there were one or two talks about spiritual things on this night at the Masonic Lodge and then the guided meditation person came up, spoke for a bit, and then started leading the meditation. Even at the time, I was sort of chuckling in my head since the entire scenario reminded me of that penguin scene from the Fight Club movie, but I was focused on seeing where this would take me, so I closed my eyes and started meditating. I'm not entirely sure what stirred me or if I was finding it hard to concentrate or maybe I was concentrating super hard, but whatever it was, I opened my eyes. I've already mentioned the fog in several of the previous experiences I've had, and if you open up your Old Testament and reread some of the descriptions of the presence of the Lord, it's either smoke or mist or fog that's spoken of as the coming of or sign of the presence of the Lord. I didn't know this then, of course, even after having seen it now, what, three times? And it was a detail I missed while reading the Bible as exponentially fast as I'd read it. And honestly, I didn't start connecting the fog or smoke imagery and what it meant until my more recent experiences. Also, if you've been to a Catholic Mass, when they enter in the procession and the priest is swinging that metal thing around that's filled with incense, this is the reason for it, since it's mirroring the descriptions of the presence of the Lord as found in the Old Testament. 
I should probably look up if that's the actual reason. That's just the reason I've come to understand since understanding what this fog or mist or smoke symbolizes while meditating deeply or entering into or having an actual mystical experience. It's the mind's way of symbolizing that you've crossed the threshold and are in the spiritual realm where one waits for the presence of the Lord. Anyways, I looked around at the other people sitting in their black metal soft padded chairs to try to see if anybody else had their eyes open and were seeing this cloud of fog that had suddenly filled the room like a layer rolling along the floor and up to the waist level since I said I could see their faces, which was even weirder since it sort of lay on the ground and didn't climb any higher. I didn't see anybody else with eyes open and just figured I must have been in on the joke or the smoke and mirror illusion or something because I spent the next few moments cranning my neck side to side, trying my best to listen past what the guided meditation person was saying and trying to listen for the hum of a hidden fog machine that was producing this mysterious but interesting fog in this room. It hadn't been there prior to the guided meditation, but now it was. But try as I might, I couldn't hear any machine that might have been producing the fog. It was just there. I noted the experience in my mind, thought it strange, and closed my eyes and continued the meditation. I'm sure I wasn't paying any attention though since I was too focused on considering what that fog might have been. Lastly, what was even weirder was once the meditation began to wind down, the guide slowly telling everybody to open their eyes and I reopened them after having essentially cheated and opened them during the meditation, the fog was now mysteriously gone. If it had been a fog machine, wouldn't it have remained? Since at the time I was an intense loner and introvert, I doubt that I spoke to or asked anybody afterwards if they'd seen the fog or anything like that. I hung out in front of the lodge for a moment looking through the books that they had available for sale, was considering buying some, along with returning and testing the place out and seeing if the fog would be there again, but there was an attendant or a shopkeep or somebody helping out at the front door where I was, and once she noted my interest in the books, came over and started blasting me with different flyers for different events the lodge was going to be holding. I didn't see any weird faces on her or anything like that, but the experience reminded me of the evangelical Christians that had approached me on the street outside of the church I was going to and instantly turned me off. I said before I don't like proselytizing and I don't like being proselytized too, and this instantly felt like that. Not that it was her fault or anything, she was probably just doing her job and was trying to be helpful and promotionary, but to a loner and an introvert, having somebody suddenly all up in my face like that, especially while I was contemplating something interesting like fog suddenly appearing and then disappearing, it instantly turned me off both from buying any of the books there and from returning. Even though I was curious about the fog and wanted to learn what that was all about and had initially thought that maybe if I returned to another meditation, I would see it again and learn more, if I was going to be bludgeoned every time I entered and exited the place with advertisements for future stuff, I wasn't going to be returning. Upon exiting the lodge, I quickly tossed all the flyers she'd handed me into the nearby trash bin and never went back. I may have become a mason if it hadn't been for that lady all up in my grill in the bookstore. Everything I've spoken about during this episode are the primary experiences that I had during this time. In between each of these and throughout my remaining time in Palms, West LA and beyond, I would experience constant synchronous type events that I suppose should just be assumed by the listener or the reader if you ventured this far into the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast and website. Probably the craziest and stupidest thing I did during this time, which I'll only highlight as a method of warning for the listener or reader to be careful of how far you take synchronicity in some of these different types of mind over matter spiritual practices, was what I'll call a dumbass trust walk. 
I became so confident in my abilities of thinking something out and then seeing it in the external, like picturing an available parking spot at the supermarket before going and then, voila, the parking spot I'd pictured was available just as I'd seen it, that I stupidly decided to put my life on the line in testing it out since I was already generating an invincibility complex the more I realized I'd experienced what very few had experienced and understood mystically, theologically, spiritually, the depths of what it seemed very few understood. I was walking towards a street intersection and closed my eyes and kept walking, picturing the light turning green as soon as I entered the street and that I'd walk across this intersection with my eyes closed and not get hit by any passing vehicles. Again, anybody that's lived there or has visited knows that a red light means that two to three more cars can still drive through it or turn left since a red light basically has no meaning in LA and generally anywhere in Southern California, but especially in LA. Luckily, the fates were with me. God sent some guardian angels to guard me. The drivers that happened to be nearing the intersection all decided to follow the actual yellow and red light rules of the DMV at that moment, or all of the above, since I survived my trust walk crossing an intersection with my eyes having been closed prior to entering into the intersection. So I'm sure there are dumb shits out there like I was, trying these spiritual practices in reckless ways. So always follow the road rules since you never know when some idiot with his eyes closed is testing out the limits of synchronicity at a random time at a random intersection and is in need of those around him to follow the rules as he's breaking them, so that this idiot with his eyes closed doesn't get plowed over by oncoming traffic or red light runners, especially in West LA. But I did survive it, so that kind of says something about how strong my ability in synchronization had become, and I'll leave this at that. I said that I began to gain strange ideas from the influx of modern New Age interpretations of these ancient philosophies, and that was probably the most extreme example of taking these types of concepts too far. Hopefully by hearing my tale, you don't follow down that same path, but I will further speak upon this as we get nearer to when I fell once more, was tossed into hell once more, and needed to repent in all seriousness once more in the experience I've called the disillusion experience. But in the next episode, we'll focus exclusively on the various dreams and dream experiences I had during this time period that continued to tear the veil apart of the known and unknown of the visible and the invisible and the nature of the reality inside of our minds, seen inside and outside. Until then. If you have yet to visit LogosofExperienceAndTruth.com and borne witness to and made the connection of the near thousand images portraying what is seen during the mystical vision throughout all time, all peoples, all cultures, all traditions, the visual representation of the epitomes of science and all religions, Make sure to visit and see and judge for yourself if what is shown equals my claim to experience and truth and that which potentially unites all the deeper hidden invisible mysteries of humankind.